Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Hi, everybody. Italian Wine Podcast celebrates its fourth anniversary this year, and we all love the great content they put out every day. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People has become a big part of our day, and the team in Verona needs to feel our love. Producing the show is not easy, folks. Hurting all those hosts, getting the interviews, dropping the clubhouse recordings, not to mention editing all the material. Let's give them a tangible fan hug with a contribution to all their costs. Head to italianwinepodcast.com and click donate to show your love. Okay. Hello, everybody. My name is Stevie Kim, and welcome to Italian Wine Club. I'm back. Today's call will be moderated by Paul Bologna, a recently acquitted Italian Wine Ambassador. Congratulations, Paul. He will be interviewing Massimiliano Brambilla. Um, I've actually just landed in Verona a few hours ago and happy to be back. Oh my God, there are so many forms, tests, apps to be filled out to get back home. At a certain point, I thought I was going to miss the plane. So let me just share this with our audience. For anyone traveling into Italy now, and I think most of the European EU, I mean, every country has a different role. That's the problem as well. Uh, but uh, to get into Italy, definitely. Now you must also complete the EU digital passenger locator form online. That's let me repeat: EU digital passenger locator form online. It's not a piece of paper you can fill out. It must be done prior to check in. I hadn't flown in about seventeen months um, before going to New York, so I hadn't a clue. Actually, I should ask Paul. Paul, did you have to fill out one of those in June as well when you came to Italy? I did. I did. Oh, okay, so that was already. Yeah, I didn't really understand that. Well, there was a bit of a drama at the airport as um, it wasn't very iPhone friendly. In the end, I had to do it from my laptop. So just be aware, folks. If you are interested in learning more, I'll send you the link so that you can save some extra hassle. Okay, that was a little bit of housekeeping there, just to let you know. Back to Ambassador's Corner. Today we are back with our sixth installment. We have the entire office on holidays until end of next week. We'll um, at in Verona. We'll be opening up um, the offices on the twenty third. So. Um, today, we are back with our sixth installment of this series, Ambassador's Corner, which is becoming one of my favorites, where Italian wine ambassadors and wine lovers get a chance to interview their favorite Italian wine producer. So we did um, Alberto Tosca, that's with Cynthia, then Xiaowen, fantastic. Um, 
interview with Elena Fucci. You guys should listen to that if you haven't. It's incredibly inspirational and heartwarming. Um, then Jill Gordon-Smith, our timeline expert, interviewed Rocco Toscani. Chiro Pirone, terrible connection. Let, let's see what, I don't know what the recording's going to be like. Hope we can salvage some of that, Chiro, uh, with Roberto Di Meo. Then last week was very particular, interesting, a Chinese winemaker uh, making Etna wines uh, with Steph Im, with Alice Wong and Alan Kwok, two Italian wine ambassadors from Hong Kong. Then today we, of course, have Paul Bologna with Massimiliano Brambilla. His winery is called Vigne Olcru. And then coming up the next week, we have Gianluca Querolli with Stefano Chiarlo. Then the week after that, we have Jody Holman with Enrico Della Piano. That's from Rizzi and Barbarasco. And then Cynthia's back, Cynthia Chaplin with Ilaria Takis. Of course, she's the daughter of Giacomo Takis. Yeah, she actually has a winery. So it's interesting. And then Hugh Priest will be um, coming back on the 9th of September with Ariana Occhipinti. So those are all lined up. And we've um, we've confirmed all calls up. Um, already published on the Italian Wine Club. So please, that's my drink. Uh, remember to follow us and put on the bell if you'd like to be alerted for the next one. Uh, but in general, we record on Thursdays on 8 p.m. like today, Central European time, unless there are some time zone challenges. A quick shout out to like our backstage clubhouse manager in the front row. And Joy, our Italian wine podcast producer. I think she's still in Croatia. Don't forget to ping me like our Joy if you'd like to nominate and interview your favorite Italian wine producer. I see that Clubhouse is now DM capable directly. I've completely missed that during my hiatus from the app. If you can, please continue to DM us on Insta so, so more than one eyes will be on that. That'll be grand. So before we get on to today's show, I must remind you that the room is recorded and um, probably if we can, if all goes well, we played on the Italian Wine podcast, but that really depends on the quality of the recording as we are being connected from different parts of the world and with through different means and different instruments. So um, you see now that this room is very much an extension of Italian Wine Podcast. So if you can give a thumbs up and rate our podcast wherever you get your pods, we'd really appreciate that. And if you'd like to make a small donation, even better. Grazie mille. Let me now start with our moderator today. I'm very, very pleased to present our friend um, and our guest moderator for our call today. That's, of course, Paul Bologna. Um, he, is our, um, he became certified as an Italian wine ambassador in June in the flagship edition in Verona. Congratulations. Paul is a native to Southern California and a graduate of UCLA. Uh, began his wine career working in Napa and then started a long career working as a psalm for JW Marriott and Ritz-Carlton Resort brand. So he is a go-to person if you need a discount with those hotels. Paul has traveled to many times to Italy, both for work and pleasure. In particular, he was very keen 
to take UC Davis students on tours to wine estates. Um, like I said, he's now an, um, an bona fide Italian wine ambassador from Vinatil International Academy. By the way, we are coming to America in September if you want more information. And we are having a tuition waiver program for the underrepresented communities for the first time. So if you can spread that good word, that would be really great. He does what I, Paul does what the Italian wine ambassadors do best, which is to promote and educate about Italian wine. So let's start. Hello, Paul. Ciao, Paul. Come stai? Ciao. Thank you for having me today. So, so listen, Paul, your name is Bologna. So are you Italian? Yes, I'm Italian. I'm Sicilian on one side and Polish on the other side. Oh, okay. Because you're Bologna. I thought you would, there's some like, you know, a proclivity to, affinity to, a Bolognese, but you're actually from Sicily. Yes, yes, from my father's side, Sicily. But uh, I love Bologna, of course, so uh, I wouldn't mind being from there, but I like to visit there anyway. So listen, um, why did you select um, Massimiliano Brambilla, Vignol Crew, as your favorite producer to be um, interviewed today? Well, I selected uh, Vignet Olcru and uh, Massimiliano uh, as my favorite producer to look out for because of their commitment to experimentation and innovation. So they're, it's not a story about the past, but really more a story about the future. And uh, they're very committed to understanding Pinot Noir and how to take it to the next level in Italy. Great. So as you know, I'm a bit crazy about, you know, making this um, call into an educational platform as well. So we talk, we always speak about the learning objectives. So what should we, what are the learning objectives that we should um, take away from your interview today? Well, there's a couple of things. I, I would say, firstly, uh, it's just really to understand uh, the Altropobo Pavese and highlight why uh, it's a growing hotspot for Pinot Noir in Italy, uh, as well as how the still wines and the Metodo Classico wines are different from other wine appellations. Uh, I also wanted to peek a little bit into the future to ask him his opinion if there's a potential for some breakthrough bottlings uh, in the coming years that will bring more prominence uh, to the category of Pinot Noir. Uh, like, uh, could there be a, a Sesakaya of Pinot Noir that, that comes from nowhere in the in the future and uh actually there's another strange thing is that he does um well he's going to talk a little bit about how he uh maps the neurological processes of the brain of a wine drinker uh to lead to new insights so that's something a little different that i thought the uh, listeners might want to hear about okay that's terribly interesting actually um just as an extra question how did you discover um massimiliano in the first place well, back in 2015, I attended the World Expo, which took place in Milan, and uh, Vignet Old Cru was featured as the new and innovative winery. Uh, it was chosen uh, for the region of Lombardia, and uh, he and his brother were recognized for uh, this Vignet Old Cru project. So the World Expo, if you don't know or if listeners are unsure of it's it's a it was an international exhibition that had every country in the world participate to show uh not only their you know unique cultural food offerings but also the the technological innovations that would theoretically uh better the food supply 
uh, while also being, you know, carbon neutral, energy efficient and all that. So it was an amazing exhibition that went on for a few months with hundreds of thousands of global tourists attending. So after that uh, exhibition, I visited his estate and he was generous enough to take time out and show me his winery and vineyards. And so we have him here today to talk about the innovations. Did you um, also visit um, our Italian wine pavilion? I did. Okay. And we had about 3,000 wines. That was, that nearly killed me, that project, about 3,000 wines and six, six months of that. And not to me, not to my, uh, mention, you know, of course, the entire um, preparation and the, and, you know, the project um, of construction. It was an incredible um, undertaking. But um, yeah, we used to have sometimes like, 12,000 to 20,000 people go through the pavilion every day. So it was pretty amazing for, I don't know if those, for those who have never attended the World Expo before. Um, Okay, so Paul, I'm going to shut up as the tradition calls it um, and just take it away, Paul. Okay, so it gives me great pleasure to introduce to all of you today the the man who owns Vigne Old Crew. He's a, a very charismatic man who was the CEO and vice president of a large electrical engineering corporation that was listed on the Milan Stock Exchange. Uh, my old job, yeah. Uh, well, 24 plants, 18 countries, 2,000 employees. Uh, I'm, I'm beginning to understand uh, how he commandeered the resources for this project. Uh, but truly, he's a, a very passionate soul who has now dedicated his life along with his brother to working with universities and putting effort into researching Pinot Noir clones, farming methods, satellite technology, and even neuroscientific experiments on wine drinkers, if you can believe that. So without further ado, I will introduce to you Massimiliano Brambilla. Ciao. Ciao, Paul. How are you? Ciao, Stevie. I'm doing great. Oh, fine. Hello, Stevie, and uh, thank you for having me here today. Well, well, great. So let me get started with the first question. Yes. So um, it starts with the understanding of the of the Vigne Old Cru wine project uh, and the innovative research that encompasses the project. Uh, I know that you and your brother actually started working on this years before the World Expo. Can you tell us um, how this project got started and, and what universities you work with? Yes, uh, in uh, the creation of the Vigne Old Cru wine project uh, with uh, my brother, in addition to the love for Pinot Noir, we were uh, stimulated by the idea of the developing a nursery of ideas that uh, could bring together multiple universities with uh, joint vision. Coming from the industrial and financial world, we are used to planning medium-long-term projects in which the heart of corporate research and development becomes the main engine of the growth. The proximity to various universities allowed us to develop uh, multiple uh, projects with uh, different degree theses uh, to direct our efforts uh, towards constant qualitative and uh, innovative research in uh, multiple fields, both phenological and agronomic, but uh, also in communication and marketing, all uh, while maintaining a constant of uh, craftsmanship in developing our uh, vineyard crew project, we were inspired by numerous wineries that uh, we have visited in uh, different countries around the world for several years, planning the construction of the cellar with architects who took into consideration not only the aesthetic aspect, but also and above all the functional one. In accordance with their production needs, 
seen uh, from the beginning with some university that have uh, followed us uh, from the beginning. Our vineyards are not concentrated in uh, one area, but are uh, different areas depending on the type of Pinot Noir we wanted to develop. Working with uh, multiple uh, Pinot Noir clones and different uh, breeding forms with micro and mesa vinification allowed us to make many evaluations on the setting of Vineyard Crew and uh, on our future development. The collaboration with the Neuromarketing Department of Hume uh, University allowed us to reduce uh, some costs uh, and to optimize our communication tools in a scientific uh, and therefore measurable way. Not having uh, inherited uh, some vineyards uh, has allowed the vineyard crew to evaluate the most evoked lands uh, with the best ex exposures for suitable development of the project uh, without having to adapt uh, what we would have found in the different situation. So the dynamism of uh, our growth will continue to develop with our desire to experiment and uh, we leave uh, all this with great excitement and uh, it is as uh, if uh, every time we find the right piece of a grid puzzle that is composed before our eyes, indicating a new path which fits continuously, giving us new emotion and increasing the interest in wines. This combination with the university world allowed us to experiment in a conscious way, optimizing our work. Okay, well, you know, uh, Massimiliano, let me ask you to maybe turn down your speaker a little bit. There's a little bit of an echo going on there, but uh, good, good answer there. Uh, you know, most people, uh, they understood that. It's, you really created this winery from scratch and, and all the vineyards from scratch. So uh, this is something that uh, is really from the bottom up. Uh, developing. But uh, my next question really has to do with the idea of how people drink wine. Um, I'll say here in California, uh, many people drink wine as a cocktail, you know, in, in, in Italy and in the old world, it's, it's all about the food and wine pairing. But uh, Pinot Noir, uh, you know, there's a lot of devotees to Pinot Noir here on the West Coast, whether Oregon or California. And uh, it, it can make for a very complete tasting wine. That is, um, you know, they'll, they'll just drink it by, them, by itself if need be. And I, I know that's a little bit different uh, in Italy. So when it comes to like the global style of Pinot Noir uh, with this new world versus old world paradigm, uh, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on the subject of uh, drinking wine as a cocktail or, or having it with food? Well, this is a very interesting question. I think that uh, the best style uh, to produce Pinot Noir is uh, the style that uh, allowed you to recognize the land in which the Pinot Noir is produced. The variables are many, but uh, all essential to the territory. Then uh, there is uh, a hand of the winemaker who contributes to give uh, personality to the wine. When we interpret the new harvest, uh, we take care to give continuity with uh, the previous wines uh, by emphasizing their new characteristics. You pointed out a big difference between uh, tasting a wine in the new world and uh, in the old world. In Italy, we look for a lot of combinations of wine with uh, dishes, and probably this characteristic is due to the great complexity of uh, our cousin and uh, the large number of native vines. 
where every Italian region could be a single state by number of dishes and wines. Uh, however, I find it fascinating that the new world gives wine a leading role, testing it without any contamination given by the dishes. After all, there are the two sides of the same coin, in which wine plays a leading role or co-protagonist, giving continuous motion and carry out a social function of aggregation and conviviality. Great. Uh, I know your winery is a short drive from Milan, so I'm sure many listeners uh, you know, visited Milan but didn't know how close they were to, to the beauty uh, of the rolling hills on the other side of the Po River. Uh, tell everyone a little bit about how you got started making wine, uh, the different wines you make, and, and what kind of wines are made in the area in general. I was born in the industrial world and involved in the financial one, but after a few years of financial management, I liked the planning linked to the productive world. And with my brother Matteo, we shared the passion for wine and in particular for Pinot Noir. What intrigued us most was and his in the idea of producing something in which our soul and our passion would be transferred to other throat uh, product uh, like wine. The romantic idea that in Italy or uh, on the other side of the world, a couple in love or a group of friends can celebrate a moment tasting our wines fill us uh, with enthusiasm. And regarding Oltrepo, Oltrepo Pavese is located in the northern uh, Italy, about uh, 60 kilometers south of Milan. Is very close to two airports. There is uh, is just over 100 kilometers from uh, Malpensa Airport and only 70 kilometers from uh, Linade Airport. Oltrepo Pavese has a characteristic triangular shape. On one side, there is the largest river in Italy that named Po, while in the south, the highest mountain is at 1,700 meters. And the proximity to the sea, less than 100 kilometers to the south and the Alp to the north, then uh, that stop the cold currents, create a very particular continental climate with a harsh winter and a hot summer. In Otto Papavese, we have uh, hundreds of kilometers of trails on foot, uh, by bicycle and uh, on uh, horseback uh, through the winding hills. We have many villages, uh, really, really pretty, uh, among the, the most beautiful in Italy, castles and spas. In uh, Pavia, we have uh, a splendid covered uh, bridge. Pavia is very close uh, to the area of Oltrepo Pavese. And we have also the Certosa di Pavia, that is an historic monumental complex uh, with a uh, 50th century monastery and sanctuary. In Oltrepo, among our splendid hills, uh, the perfect day could be divided uh, as follows. In the morning, sport, uh, like uh, walking, uh, cycling, or horse. Lunch, immersing yourself in the rich and gastronomic heritage of the Old Repos. Early cultural afternoon among ancient churches and the castle, medieval villages and the works of art. Then uh, late afternoon, relaxing the numerous spa facilities. In the evening, discovering endless romantic restaurants with a very wide choice from uh, traditional trattorias to the most uh, renewed storage restaurants. Well, wow, that uh, sounds like the perfect day. <laughs> yes, I, I like to think it <laughs> in this way. Yeah. Well, I know it's definitely different if you have like a, a hustle bustle thing going on in Milan, just to, I don't know, maybe a 45 minute hour drive and you're 
you know, just like those people from San Francisco can go to Napa Valley or in Vienna, you can go to the Wachau. It's, it's, a, it's very close and, and very different yes. and very nice. Yes. Um, so uh, another question for you, in, and this is very Italy, is, uh, you know, Italy will often um, blend a little bit of a native grape along with an international grape to give it its own Italian identity. And I, I know you make a wine uh, that uses Pinot Noir in a blend along with Bonarda and uh, Nebbiolo to make a delicious wine you call No. Uh, is this something new, uh, this kind of blend, uh, or do other people do it? And, and what does Pinot Noir add to the blend specifically? Oh, wow. Always uh, using uh, Pinot Noir blended with other wines, we have uh, two very interesting wines one of which has a very compelling history because we wanted to create a wine that would contain the best of the native and historical varieties of uh, the Oltre Popavese, communicating the territory through a collaboration with another company of the Oltre Popavese, creating synergies of value. And for me, this is very important. So Vignol Crew has uh, four vines, Bisi, that is another uh, viticulture company close to us, has other four uh, different vines, and we created together a wine that was the result of the collaboration between two producers from the same territory and two universities. The first one is the State University of Milan, Department of Agricultural and Environmental Sciences, chaired by Professor Valenti, and the Department of Neuromarketing of Ulm, that is the University of Marketing and Communication in Milan, chaired by Professor Russo, through 60 students of the Master in Food and Wine Communication uh, of Ulm and Gambro Rosso. So the result was a red wine with eight grapes varieties, and we have Pinot Noir, Barbera, Croatina, Vespolina, Uvarara, Moradella, Nebbiolo and Dolcetto. So the State University of Milan has made the cut and the Hume University has created the brand, label and packaging with the, resu the result that uh, for two consecutive years as a table wine, the country in London gave us 91 points for the first year and 91 points the last year. A small demonstration of uh, how union can make uh, strength. Yeah, I, I tasted it at Vin Italy uh, a couple years back, and I was really impressed with that wine. So maybe oh, more people you. will be making a, a blend like that. That would certainly be uh, innovative and interesting. Uh, so now here's something uh, that's not every vintner does. Uh, tell us a little bit about your research project called Drops of Happiness, uh, which involves brain scans and wine tasting. Uh, what's that all about? I'm imagining a, a lie detector test or testing one's threshold for palate fatigue, or uh, I'm a little confused. So tell her <laughs> what Drops of Happiness are about. Yes, it's very curious. So with the, the neuromarketing lab of the Hume University, uh, assisted by Professor Russo, we have embarked on a collaboration that is uh, the sixth year that has changed our lives totally. Because with the Neuromarketing Lab, we have organized several masters in food and wine communication, in which different groups of students are commissioned different projects that uh, result in different university theses. Vignol Crew was among the first winery in, in Italy to use neuromarketing studies to scientifically measure the impact on the market 
of uh, both communication and these wines. Uh, how does the neuromarketing lab work? We are able to measure the emotion of multiple people of different ages, different sexes and different ethnicities through the sensory chair. The person sits on the chair, wears a ring that measures the skin conductance, another ring that measures the heartbeat rate, wears a helmet with different probes that analyze the positive and negative emotion on the left and the right prefrontal apparatus. Then we have an eye tracking that measures the movement of the able and a laser that measures the movement of the facial muscles. In practice, it is, uh, has, uh, if a powerful uh, lie detector analyzes uh, the emotion of the person and through a software that analyzes the brain image, the areas of the brain responsible for the taste uh, are highlighted. Uh, uh, so with uh, this technique, we have managed to make uh, the taste objective. So through a significative uh, sample of people, we were able to reduce uh, the sun costs. Tasting uh, before going on the market, uh, both the wines and the different marketing communications such as uh, labels, website, advertising, advertising and so on. So this wonderful innovation make us more competitive scientifically measuring what we do and reducing the time to return from the market. Today we will not be able to do without the neuromarketing lab and I would recommend implementing it to all the companies in all the sectors. So uh, believe me Paul, it's something incredible, uh, never, never without it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, I usually find uh, working in the restaurant, uh, people are very vocal about how they feel about a wine. But uh, for those that aren't, I wish I could say, uh, let's see that brain scan. But uh, anyway, uh, I know that your area in the Oltropo Pavese is increasingly is increasing plannings of Pinot Noir at a fast rate, which I assume is due to the increased production of Metodo Classico wines. Um, so my question now is, uh, how would you describe the difference between uh, Metodo Classico wines from from Altropo Pavese and those from other areas like Francia Corta, Trentino, or Altalanga? Right. Uh, in uh, in Altropo Pavese, the traditional method is uh, mainly based on uh, Pinot Noir, as in uh, Altalanga, while in uh, Francia Corta and uh, Trentino, there is uh, a prevalence of uh, Chardonnay. So, this is the main difference. Then, the sparkling process is identical in all four areas. Another important difference is uh, given by the vastness of the territory, where uh, Oltrepopavese and uh, Altalanga have uh, much uh, larger territories, and uh, Trentino and Franciacorta with less uniform soil complexity. In Oltrepopavese, the traditional method soils are made up of uh, marl, arenaceous, limestone, and uh, chalky soils. In Altalanga, the soils have a marly, calcareous, uh, clayey composition, while in Trentino is very rich of in uh, limestone. And uh, in Franciacorta, the soil is uh, sandy, homey with gravels and pebbles. So those are the main difference between uh, the, four, uh, the four territories.
Okay, uh, well, let me ask you now, what, what size of a winery are you? And uh, I know that you're soon going to be distributed in California. Uh, do you plan to grow? Do you foresee exporting your wines to other markets uh, in the U.S., maybe the East Coast? Uh, what, what is the status of your distribution? Oh, okay. Which uh, vineyard crew was uh, conceived for a total production of around uh, 400,000 bottles. Uh, in order to remain artisan of wine, but not industrializing part of the production processes. This year we should have a production of around uh, 150,000 bottles and 50% uh, of our turnover we do abroad and uh, most of which in the Chinese market, where we have uh, three different dealers. Uh, we are not yet present in uh, the United States market, but we have a contact with uh, a Los Angeles distributor for the California market, uh, which uh, we hope to leave by the end of the, this year. Well, great. Uh, so let me ask you, if there are tourists staying in Milan and they want a, a wine experience outside the city, uh, what can they expect if they drove out to your winery? Would, do you serve lunch? I know there's great views there with the sparkling wine. What, what would a, a day at Vigne Il Cru uh, encompass? Okay, yes, being only at uh, 60 kilometers south of the province of Milan, we have uh, several tourists uh, who come to visit us in the cellar. And uh, we organize a guided tasting and cellar tour. And uh, we are very active in organizing different events. Uh, we have a conference room for uh, 120 people where we organize a team building work with uh, several companies. We have a wonderful panoramic area overlooking our vineyards where we host up to 200 people organizing tasting of our wines in combination with uh, some traditional uh, pavese dishes. Then uh, with uh, KitchenAid has installed a very modern kitchen where we do show cooking with the different restaurant chefs in combination with different vintages of our wines. Vineyard Crew has created a wine and drivers club where uh, twice a year, starting from the cellar, we rent important historic villas in Monza, Milan, Pavia and Como. And with uh, 70 Sport Dreams car, we combine uh, safe driving with uh, conscious drinking. During the harvest period, we open the cellar to more than 1,000 people on the four weekends of September, with an area dedicated to the children, the children in which they collect and press the grapes. For five years, Vignole Crew has also become an art gallery, hosting a semi-permanent exhibition of a Tuscan painter and sculptor, combining the craftsmanship of our wines with a more canonical form of pictorial and sculptorial art. Yeah, well, I, I will tell you, I, I think it's a very stunning place. You know, you're up there on a hill, uh, walls of glass, looking at uh, rolling green hills, really, really pretty spot. Um, so this is a, a question now that's really specific about Pinot Noir. And uh, how is it different uh, in your area than, say, Alto Adige or, or other regions? Because I, I definitely... Uh, it was uh, definitely richer and, and rounder than other Pinot Noirs that I, I've tried before in Italy. So how would you describe the differences? Well, uh, first of all, the, the vastness of uh, the Ultra Popavese creates uh, different uh, variables, uh, both climatic. So we have a solar radiation, temperatures and rainfall, and the soil with different geological periods. 
think Paul that uh, ranging from uh, 5 uh, to 45 billion years. Pinot Noir is not suitable for all production area and only in change the most uh, suitable areas. To have high quality, it is necessary to cultivate this vine in a restricted uh, environments. Uh, when we decided to invest in Ultra Popavese, creating the vineyard crew, we had the privilege of being able to choose the areas with the best vocation for the production of Pinot Noir in red and in the traditional method. This, uh, together with the contest, uh, constant experimentation with the State University of Milan, has uh, allowed us to find the best clonal solution according to the soil. Uh, so, with the combination of uh, different uh, rootstocks depending uh, on the soil. The main difference between our Pinot Noir and the Trentino Pinot Noir is that the Ultra Popavese wines are more structured and having higher percentage of clay in the soil, they have more intense aromas. While in Trentino, having a medium body and less tannins, they have more delicate aromas. In both areas, the young Pinot Noir are vinified with maturation at a controlled temperature. Vignol Cru has three versions of Pinot Noir vinified in red one aged in steel tanks and two aged in new medium toasted barriques with different seasoning woods, where for the entire aging period, once a week, it is carried out to the batonage. Yeah, I, I really did enjoy your Pinot Noir. Uh, and I, know, I think it was like 24 months in oak. So, I mean, it, it definitely uh, could take it. Uh, so my last question for you is, uh, appropriately, it's about your dessert wine. Um, I know it scored really high in the five-star wine judging a few years ago. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, yes. Uh, we produce a sweet Moscato and uh, we have uh, a small plot of land at about 300 meters on this level facing northwest with the clay marine soil. The wine has a particular characteristic as we normally do in early harvest, uh, where we preserve the acid part and the soil gives uh, it a great flavor and the prevailing aromas are green apple and sage. So those are the main characteristics. <laughs> well, it's great. You have quite a lineup of wines. Uh, I really enjoyed them when I came and visited you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Great. So, Stevie, uh, lastly, I'll ask you, have, have, have you been to this area? Do you, yeah, do you uh, enjoy it? You know, first of all, complimenti, tutti e due. I think I love, I was very enthralled with the conversation. It's an area that I'm not as familiar, obviously, than Franciacorta of the situation. I have been, I have been to uh, Oltrepo Pavese, but um, especially during the expo, actually. But I've not been recently. And I think, you know, uh, Paul, remember, like, for the flagship edition, we had a masterclass with, um, you know, some Durello, for example, you know, the consortium. I think we should try to get the consortium involved to do a masterclass for our students, Massimiliano, uh, maybe next year, because um, I'm not, I'm, I am unfamiliar with Oltrepo, I have to be honest. And I think I've learned so much today and I think um, it could be very interesting also for, especially the wine geeks that I see 
out here in the audience and who follow us more importantly on the Tiny Wine podcast. If you guys have any questions, uh, I see a bunch of ambassadors. I see Shawen, Karen, of course, Melissa, Laika, uh, I'll bring Laika up in any case. Um, if anybody else would like to ask a question to Paul or Masmiliano, please raise your hands and this is a good time. Um, you know, I don't necessarily want every session to go to one hour. So, uh, if you have a good question, then you can raise your hand. Okay. I think I'm going to start with the first question. Okay. All right. So, um, you mentioned a lot of things and really amazing ideas about wine tourism in the Neil crew. Um, I'm just curious because of, you know, I know that this is going to be a usual question, but I'm also curious about this. Like, how do you address the situation with the decline of wine tourism because of the pandemic? Oh, yes. Um, we we organize uh, uh, our work in a, in a different way. So with the, the pandemics, uh, we organize uh, a lot of uh, of master class in the vineyard, and uh, while uh, with uh, the the customers that we have abroad, uh, we organize some uh, some master class. Uh, in, in distance with the, the social, but uh, we continue to, to organize the tasting uh, because uh, we, we put the, the people in many different areas in the vineyard and we, we teach uh, them a lot of the characteristic uh, of uh, our vineyard. So we, we organize in this way and also we we contacted uh, a lot of uh, restaurateurs that comes to visit us, uh, so we had the opportunity to organize a lot of tasting with them because they closed their the, the activity. So for for us, uh, well, has been a moment with uh, a great uh, a great opportunity to introduce a new uh, restaurateur in our in our winery. Thank you, Laika, for that for that question. Um, you know, I mean, Paul, you've been incredibly thorough with your questions, so we can easily close up the room um, if there aren't additional questions. I do. I I don't want to be too cheeky. Um, non voglio fare il polemica, uh, Massimiliano. But h- how do you? I mean, how do you position Oltrepo Pavese? Um, when you compare it with Franciacorta, because you guys are both in Lombardy. Like, how do you, what are, what are the main, can you, I know you did the main difference with, of all the sparkling wines, but are there specific differences other than being Pinot Noir based? What is the choice? Why, why was it the choice to be Pinot Noir based? Is it because of the terroir? Is it because of its... History. Yes, it's uh, both, both. So for history, and uh, you know that uh, we, we love, uh, we fall in love with Pinot Noir. So we decided uh, to have an investment in, uh, in, in this area of Autopovese because the, the most part of the Pinot Noir is, uh, in Italy is produced in Autopovese. I think that uh, more or less the 74% uh, of the, the production of Pinot Noir in Italy is uh, in Oltre Popavese. And uh, here I like so much uh, the opportunity 
uh, of the territory because we come from uh, the 100 meters up to uh, on the sea level up to 600 meters. And this is amazing because uh, we have uh, three geological areas and uh, this allows uh, to the right, with the right clothes to produce a great, a great uh, Pinot Noir vinified red. And uh, if we want to have a very good acidity, we have the opportunity with uh, the right clones uh, for uh, white wines to produce uh, a traditional method. In fact, our traditional method, we have the, the, the vineyards that start from 300 meters up close to 600 meters. And uh, with the, the change of the climatic situation, this allowed us to have a very good acidity. And you know that Fort Noir is uh, uh, is a, a total different body, total different structure. So uh, for me was uh, for us for Vineyard Crew was a great uh, opportunity to combine the two souls uh, of the Pinot Noir. So you have one coin that uh, in one side uh, you have uh, with the red clones the red Pinot Noir, and in the other side uh, with the white clones we have the opportunity to produce a traditional method and you have this opportunity to combine both in Ultra Papavese. So for me, this is the best difference. So uh, Massimiliano, maybe just some generic questions. Um, uh, sorry, sorry about that. Maybe just some generic questions. How many producers are there in um, Ultra Papavese area? And is the is the consortium, would you say, it's fair to say they're um, they're an aggregator, an important player? And what is the total production volume? And what is the percentage of the export market as versus um, internal? Okay, so... Yeah, the entire area. And then if you want to talk about your, your company specifically... In Ultra Papavese, we have uh, close to 1,700 uh, wineries. So it's an area with uh, an incredible number of wineries where the medium size uh, of the winery has more or less uh, two hectares. And uh, so this is the, the, the production, the, the, the number of, of winery. Uh, regarding the, the turnover abroad, uh, I, I don't know real uh, this, uh, this, this date. Uh, regarding Gaza, the 50% of our turnover is abroad and uh, we would like to increase it uh, in the next year to arrive at uh, 70% more or less. And, uh, but I don't know how is the total turnover abroad of, uh, of the area. You, because uh, it's divided also in a different typology of wines, because here is the third area in Europe for production of uh, Pinot Noir with uh, 3,000 hectares on Pinot Noir. But here you know that uh, there are uh, many autochthonal uh, vines that comes from Croatina to Barbera to several different ones. So I, I am not able to give uh, you the, the real number of the, the exports. 
Yeah, yeah. I just, I was just curious. I wanted to kind of contextualize, but that's fine. Thank you very much, Massimiliano. Uh, we have Ciro. Ciao, Ciro. Come stai? Hey, ciao, Stevie. Tutto bene, eh? And what is going on in Boston with the COVID? We're supposed to come there in September. In one month, exactly. I know. There's been some uh, issues down in uh, P-Town. You know, obviously places where where there's a lot of uh, acting going on in the summer. That's where cases are spiking. But um, it's not too bad. I mean, honestly, other than some cases, but those are everywhere. So hopefully... You know, I think you'll be fine by then. That's all I can say. Okay, Chido, have you got a question for Massimiliano Paul? Yeah, my question is, uh, because you were talking about the size of the area and whatnot and how Oltre Pavese is so popular, or at least in Italy, maybe. But here, uh, in 22 years I've lived in Boston, I never seen, uh, maybe, obviously I'm sure there are some, never seen Oltre Pavese. So my question is, what actually the wineries or the consortium doing to try and promote themselves internationally, or at least in these areas, considering the Massachusetts is one of the top markets in the United States? Because uh, I just don't see the wines. So I don't get it. What is what is happening? Are people not understanding the wines or it's just no market for them? Or what are, what, are, what are they actually doing trying to promote them? Paul, would you like to answer... I mean, do you see much of Oltrepo Pavese stateside? I, I don't personally. In fact, uh, I've never, I've never even seen a bottle for sale. Uh, and you know what initially uh, made me choose uh, this winery and Massimiliano to talk about is in California. You know, there's this concept of a pinophile. A pinophile is a they they, jo- they only drink Pinot Noir. They're they're happy to only drink Pinot Noir, and they they just stay within that category. So. Maybe they'll have an Oregon Pinot Noir and then and then do one from, you know, Santa Barbara or Sonoma or, you know, wherever. But Italy is not really in that conversation. Uh, I'm, you know, Alto Adige, I see Pinot Noir uh, from there, but uh, that's basically it. And I know the Pinots from his area taste very different. Uh, and I know Tuscany has some that are very different. So uh, I'm just hoping Italy can um, sort of come up with a global style and uh, enter the conversation and appear more on wine list for that reason. All right. So listen, you guys, if you, uh, Massimiliano and Paul, if you don't have anything to add, I'm going to close up the room. Okay. So don't forget to come back. I saw Gianluca Querolli um, um, just a few minutes ago. He will be coming back for us next Thursday to interview Stefano Chiarlo. So thank you, Massimiliano. Thank you, Paul. Arrivederci and to next week. Ciao. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chi-chi.